Hello, music fans. My name is Joe Armstrong. You're listening to Independence Day. This happens to be a fast-forward episode where we go forward in time with an artist who once came on the show. This week's guest, so proud to have him back. This is Ted Russell Camp. He first joined us on April 3rd of 2013 for episode number 73, back when we were at the college. Remember those halcyon days? Uh, man, we're doing the show out of the house now, the Independence Day World Headquarters here in Glendale, Eagle Rock. Ted, welcome back, man. How are you? I'm doing well. It's good to see you. It's and, good to uh, see you. Thanks for having me back on the show again. It's good to see you. You're a man. You don't live too terribly far away, but I don't see you that terribly much because you're always on the go. Yes, I work a lot. You've got a lot a of lot. gigs. You're a hustler, man, and I mean that in the best of possible ways. People out there in the listening audience, if you go to see bands in Los Angeles, anywhere, anytime, odds are you've seen Ted Russell Camp play <laughs> in probably about between 30 and 78% of those gigs. So was that a, a conscious choice at one point of your life and in career, or was that something that just came naturally to you to um, hustle like that? Kind of both. Kind of both. Uh, my dad... Was at what had his own company for many years, and he was kind of a small businessman in New Entrepreneur. York. Entrepreneur, I grew up. Yeah, and so he he definitely kind of consciously wanted to teach me and my sister that, um, and I definitely picked it up. And as I became a professional musician, my dad was he he didn't really get the art as much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he supported it, loved it. Loved it when I was young, and it was an extracurricular that would help get me into a good college. Right. Not too thrilled about it when I said I want to do this for a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but after a few years of kind of hustling and working, and I like, um, I used to, every time someone would hire me to play on their CD, I would send my parents a copy of the CD. Yeah, yeah. So after a while, they had 20 CDs by people they had never heard of. And it was like, well, what are you doing? How do you... And I was like, well, there's a lot that goes on underneath the realm of the household names and the truly famous. Right. And L.A. is one of the best places in the world to make music. Right. Uh, so after a while, my dad started to really kind of respect me as an entrepreneur the way he was who happened to have music as my craft. Yeah. And the thing that I bought and sold. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Uh, uh, so that, that was kind of an instinct that I just kind of have. Um, I, I also don't like getting bored. Right. And I'm also not afraid to uh, kind of make cold calls and try to learn new things and try to put myself in new situations. Um, uh, when I was a kid, uh, let's see, when I was 13, I got a bass. And I very quickly joined a band with some friends. And then fairly quickly after that, another group of friends had a rock band with no bass player. Right. So they asked me to join. Mm -hmm. And within, with, let's see, you know, within a year or two, I was already in three or four bands and I was playing in the school jazz band and the school orchestra and all this other stuff. Um, and I didn't think of it as f being a freelance musician. I just thought of it as these groups of people I don't really know need a bass player. And so they asked me to join and then we can kind of become friends and I become of their posse for a little while. And it wasn't until after college when I decided to try making music for a living. Okay. That I was like, wow, all of these skills of yeah. kind of getting people's albums and learning about these groovy Black Sabbath songs I've never heard of or these Bossa Nova songs I've never heard right, of. Right, And learning them and kind of fitting in socially and doing enough practice and preparation before I show up and then listening and watching and getting their body language uh, and trying to do each gig well. Uh, all, like all of that training completely set me up for being a freelance musician. Yeah. And what was, uh, if I may ask, sure. sorry to interrupt, what was the alternate path? Like if it wasn't going to be music, uh, what were you aiming? What star uh, were when you I was When I was in college, I was really into English literature, uh, really into the romantics. 
And then towards the end of college, I really got into like Raymond Carver and uh, Richard Brodigan mm-hmm. um, and kind of uh, John Steinbeck was mm-hmm. a huge one. Uh, Carson McCullers, who actually I named my, my wife and I named our son Carson after Carson McCullers. That's pretty cool. Um, and I wanted to be an English professor. Okay, that's a pretty so, good alternate. So profession. at the end of at the end of college, I was applying to all these different grad schools to be an English professor. Yeah, and I realized all of my you know, and you write a big essay about what you want to study and why you want to go to this university, and about half of them were about how I wanted to combine music and literature into some cool, you know, cross pollinization yeah. study, and then I realized, wow, I really just kind of want to do music. Yeah, I, I I love the fact that I was not a music major. I love the fact that I was learning about kind of people and cultures and psychology and how we work yeah. as humans, you know? Um, but for a while I was just, I, I then just became a bass player and was gigging. Uh, and I thought for a long time, I thought that being an English major was just kind of an irrelevant, not quite waste of time, but irrelevant. Right. right. And then the more I got into songwriting and the, and using the English language to say what you want to say. And the more I started appreciating the Chris Christophersons and the Guy Clarks and the Bob Dylans and the Jackson Browns. I was like, oh, all of that English major stuff yeah. completely helped with what I'm doing right now. Don Henley was a, an English lit major oh, at really? one point. Not surprising. And it's, and it's very much reflected in his work. Whether you like him or not, the guy knows how to turn a phrase. Uh, no, and he's wonderfully poetic and also wonderfully earthy. Yeah. Really understands how to write a great pop song. Yeah, he really does, which is, a, a, which is a very unique skill. People, I think people think it's easy. Sometimes, because they hear the best of the stuff on the radio all the time. Yeah, they yeah. hear the best. You know, that's the reason Dark Side of the Moon sold umpteen billion copies. Is it's yeah, really yeah. good. You know, it's one thing that people tend to. Th- they don't. It's kind of like NFL. Like there's a whole lot of other football players out there in the world who just aren't on the NFL. But we just see the ones. We just see the on best the few hundred. Yeah. Or or exactly. few thousand maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and and they make it look easy. I think that's that's yeah. uh, that's why so many people love being the armchair quarterback. Right. Because you can envision it, but you don't know how to do it. Right. Everyone knows everything nowadays. I guess they always have. It's just the internet makes us know that everyone we thinks just they think, know everything. We just think we know uh, more. And we've stumbled across a very important truth that I tell people all the time, especially young musicians. If you, and Ted, you exemplify this more than just about anyone I've ever known, which is that if you want to work in music, if you want to get paid and have a career and job in music, play bass. <laughs> and I don't mean that to be cheeky. Right? No, but everyone needs a like, and. It, even when I was 14 and 15, I can't tell you. And, and, yeah. and then in college, I can't tell you. Once, once I, like, literally within a week in college, I right. was in the, the, the jazz band and the big band, the orchestra, and, I, and the, the three or four of the best friends of mine, or the, 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 the most talented or most experienced group of guys from the big jazz band. All, all, right. We automatically put together a combo so right. we could play in, you know, nightclubs and jazz brunches and stuff. Yep. And within, within two weeks people in my dorm were telling me, hey, I got these friends in the other dorm and they've got a yeah. whole band. They're all from the same town in Long Island, but they don't have a bass player. Would you want to go meet them? Yeah. And then I'd walk, and then, at, and I wasn't really calling it a gig at that point, but within three months, I was in yeah. bands. Yeah, because and, here's the thing, Ted, every jackass in the world, including myself, can play <laughs> guitar, right? And it doesn't mean there are millions of great guitar players, but guitar is a very enigmatic instrument in that you can do a lot with a little bit of knowledge. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, I mean, even some people who's, who are household names are at that level. 
and continue to be. And that's fine. That's the interesting, enigmatic thing about guitar. But once yeah. you kind of open that Pandora's box and really get into what it's capable of, then you, it's, it's, an un, it's a limitless other world. Bass is, too, for a different reason. But you can get paid to be a bass player. It's much harder, I think, to get paid to be a guitar player because everybody can play guitar. Maybe, and also, and, and I, I thought of this, like when I, when I was younger, I was quite shy. And I didn't really, like, doing even an interview like this would have been uh, harrowing for me. Uh, but almost every other instrument in a traditional rock band or blues band or whatever, like, there's an, there's an attention-getting, an attention-loving element to wanting to be the lead singer. Yeah. Or the lead guitarist and the songwriter or the drummer. And often right. the keyboard players, at least when when you know, when he's younger, they're all kind of classical guys who are really great, and then they fall in love with Genesis. And they it's always be in girls band. in my high school because yeah, yeah, they're yeah, the yeah. ones who had a better work ethic than the dudes. Yeah, no, but a lot of the a lot of the instrumentalists, a lot of people who get into music, love the show and the glamour. They're like there are all these, you know, great. There's that great story about Keith Richards, how even before he could play, he was jumping around in his parents' room right. with a tennis, a tennis racket, racket, learning his moves. Yeah, without even knowing how to what chord was what. Right. You know, and then you combine this talent and this passion with this love of the look and love of the attention. Right. And then you, you, you get someone magical like Keith Richards. Or, yeah. uh, and, and the bass is kind of this zen, quiet, supportive thing yeah. designed for people who Making like Making everyone in the else background. sound good. Yeah. And, and the good ones know how to listen and help everybody else sound good. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a rare, and that's actually one of the really rare things that I'm a singer and a bass player. Yeah, because that's very rare. Usually, ba the 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 parts of your mind that make you a great bass player are not necessarily the parts of mind that want to jump out and get attention. Yeah, the way a lead singer does. Yeah, you've uh, got your stings. You've got your Jocko's. I guess he didn't really sing, but you've got no, but he your was quite players. A front man and a and a visionary. No, but yeah. Paul, Paul McCartney. Uh, Richard really, Page from Mister Mister, who was a session guy. Eventually, there are some great ones. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a, there are a, there are a bunch of them, but. There, there's a, it's a tiny number of singing bass players than there are compared to singing guitarists or right. singing piano players. And you know what I found? Or from just a, singers. Right. From a personal perspective, bass is the hardest instrument for me to sing at the same time that I'm playing. I yeah. can, I'm not even a very good drummer, but it's easier for me to play drums and sing. Much easier to play guitar and sing, mandolin, accordion. No, a lot <laughs> of people say that. It's, a lot it's, of people it's say because that. Because it's, it's, it's an underrated, I don't say underrated, it's underappreciated instrument, the bass. Because I, from my perspective, it's the glue that holds everything else together. Which is why White Stripes never quite made sense to my brain. Uh -huh. There's no glue. It's cool yeah, okay. and it's raw and it's got its own thing. And I know that there are people on YouTube who have overdubbed bass parts to White Stripes songs. Oh, right and maybe on. that would make more sense to me. But like sonically, it just always felt kind of hinky, which I guess was maybe part of the there thing. Was a, there was a hole in there. There was something that you wanted to be filled. Missing. Anyway, this week's guest, Independence Day, fast forward, Ted Russell Camp. Ted, man, I really, it's really good to see you. One of these days, I say this to everybody, we got to just like stop the, stop the wheel, stop the merry-go-round, and let's just have a pint of beer somewhere. <laughs> and like it. when I we're not it. on our way to a gig or on our way to a radio thing or a mountain or yeah, something yeah, yeah. like that. Let's make it, let's make, make a, I'd love a date that. I'd for love that. that. Uh, when we come back, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the new record. Let's hear a song. Actually, you guys brought out, you have a great band here today. Thank you. Uh, friends of mine, great musicians from LA. Brian Whelan's going to play some electric guitar. John Schreffler also going to play some electric and acoustic guitar. I think Brian plays some acoustic as well. And Jamie Douglas on drums. So we're friends of yours, yes, guys that you work with a lot. Uh, I'm sure you they were your first call, perhaps for this gig. Uh, yeah, well, one of the things you learn when you when you when you start making your own music in LA is all the good people are busy. 
Yeah. So you get three or four guitarists and two or three drummers, and, and sometimes I love having a keyboard player in the band. Yeah. So you get two or three guys on each instrument who know the music and you like working with. Yeah. Then you book the gig and you see who's free. Yeah. So on this yeah. one, you thankfully, reverse engineer it. Thankfully, a lot of the, all those guys, Brian, John, and Jamie, um, are good friends of mine, and they are all all over this new record. So uh, uh, the the new record is called Walking Shoes. Um, Brian sang a lot of harmony. Brian sang. Uh, he played a bunch of keyboards and guitar. Uh, John Schreffler, a uh, great guitarist, also sang uh, some harmony on it. Um, he's a great pedal steel player, but he actually didn't do any steel on this record. Um, I know him from from touring with Shooter Jennings. He and yeah. I have been in the Shooter band for years. Yeah, I would call that your um, day gig. Yep, so to speak. Uh, and then Jamie also plays with the Shooter Jennings band. Um, I actually introduced him to Shooter, so I'm kind of psyched about being able to bring one of my good buddies. And I love his I love his approach to playing. Um, uh, but Jamie and I met uh, playing with an artist who I played with you on here uh, with Funky Jen years right. ago. Funky Jen introduced us. Interesting. Uh, five years ago or something yeah. like that. Um, and the circle closes in upon and then, itself And then once I just started again. working with Jamie a lot. So at this point, I've played in John's band. I've played in Brian's band. They've both played in my band. Um, I've produced a bunch of records and brought them into play on other people's albums. Uh, and they've been a big, a, a big part of my uh, life and musical life. Yeah. For a bunch of years. Well, we've got some amps buzzing. I know these guys are chomping at the bit to play some. So let's hear the song. This is a live version of the song from the record. This is one of my favorites from the record. The song is called Tail Light Shine. Yeah. Once you guys play this, we'll come back. We'll talk more about the new record and what's coming up in your world coming next here. So uh, Ted Russell Camp's my guest on Independence Day. You can find him at tedrussellcamp.com, and that's camp with a K. And uh, this is the song Tail Light Shine. So turn it up. Let's hear this. Independence Day Fast Forward with Ted Russell Camp. Fuck. You wanna do what you want me to You wanna be what you try to make me into I wanna be what I wanna be I wanna see them dying to see things through yeah. So goodbye and goodnight Cause I'll soon be out of sight When the night comes around I've been moving on down the line And you can watch my light shine yeah. Ain't gonna stop when you wanna stop I'm gonna drop all the things that I got going I gotta move and I wanna move Take it to the end of the road Keep on rolling Ooh. I said goodbye and goodnight Cause I'll soon be outside and when the night comes around, I've been moving on down the line And you can watch my tail like shine yeah. 
I said, watch my taillight shine Come on And I just can't shake it A time I gotta say to you Hit a hold on me And it's time I break it Ooh. I said goodbye and goodnight Cause I'll soon be out of sight And when the night comes around I'll be moving on Very, very nice. Rock and roll, Ted Russell Camp. Love the groove on that tune, Thank man. Thank you. Very, very cool. I've, I grew up listening to so much British classic rock that yep. there is nothing better to me than a mid-tempo rock song. <laughs> my girlfriend, my, my yeah. best friend back in Chicago taunts me relentlessly. Like He'll send me a YouTube link to a song or something, some new song he's heard, and he's like, I would have bet my life that you would love this song based purely on the tempo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. something about, I don't know, there's more space between the notes. Mm -hmm. You can push and pull with the tempo a little bit, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. both with the vocals and all the other instruments. There's a little room to move, room to breathe. Uh, so good job, man. Very Thank nice. Thank you very much. And you can find that song, Tail Light Shine, on his brand new record. It's called Walkin' Shoes, and it's the apostrophe and apostrophe. I love that. The more well, walking uh, the more, shoes more sounded vernacular. a little too uptight. Walkin' yeah. Shoes is kind of what, what, what they mean to me. They're not yeah. supposed to mean your, your sneakers that you wear to the mall. Of course. There are more <laughs> metaphorical things. Right, it's not you, the mall walkers walk where the old life. folks come and they get early in the morning <laughs> before the stores are open and they allow them to walk around the mall. This is like moving on, rambling. Perhaps. Yeah, actually, the, the uh, I more so than most of my albums, I was putting the, the, the my favorite recent songs together, and I was like, wow, almost a lot of these are about the road or touring or living or just life and love, and you're using traveling as a metaphor. 
Right. And I do actually say Walk in Shoes, I think, on two songs. So when I was trying to come up with an album title, uh, Walk in Shoes became, became one. And part of it really is when, you're, when you want to make change in your life and you want to grow or you want to evolve or you want to take a risk, the first thing you got to do is put on the shoes and get out of the house and make it happen. Yep. That's, those are wise words, Ted. I say this to people all the time and I say this to myself all the time. There are no new fans in my living room. There are no people to write songs with. I mean, my girlfriend's there, but she is not really mean. She does music. She most certainly is a musician and an accomplished one at that, but she's not really a songwriter type. So right. let's set her aside. My dog's great, barely understands English, can't play an instrument to save her life. <laughs> so there are no new fans in my living room. There are no opportunities to get new gigs. There are no sessions other than the podcast tapings that I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you really have to get out into the world yeah. to, to become... Uh, to expand your world. You know, I, I, I was like you as a young young person. I was pretty shy. I didn't, you know, people, my, I have other friends who they call BS and I think You're not, there's no way you could have been shy, but that's most certainly true. I made a conscious decision at one point of my life that I didn't want to have a small world yeah. that was, you know, looking inward all the time and, and afraid to do things. And I made a conscious decision like that sucks. I don't want to have that life. I want my world to be as big as I can possibly make it. I would go to yeah. Saturn if I could figure out how to get there. Yeah. And, no, and it's interesting to hear you living. say that because that's, it's applied. I've applied it to other areas of my life as a songwriter, as a, an adventurer, as a performer, as a, what, as a person, as a human. Yeah. You know? I mean, you can, there's nothing wrong with being introverted. And there's nothing wrong with being shy. It's just a, something I didn't want for myself. I, I, I remember having those kind of feelings too. And I was like, I know there's more to life out there. Yeah. And I know I'm going to be happier if I risk a little bit and explore yeah. and uh, have more options. It's like one, a, a, a kind of a, kind of a silly little metaphor I've thought about is once I started touring and traveling a lot with music, I realized, wow, I know a lot of people who kind of live somewhere and they're kind of, they don't really particularly love the city they live in or the town they live in. They're just there because they grew up there or near there. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, wow, but once you've been, and before I came to LA, I lived in Seattle for a while. So I was like, once you've been to Seattle and Portland and Bend, Oregon and Eugene, Oregon and Walla Walla and Spokane and a bunch of, bunch of cities in Montana. And like I was in a band that toured the Northwest yeah, the was really where I did my first real touring. And I was like, wow, then you, then you know of 10 or 15 cities and they each resonate with you in a different way. Right. And, I was, and sometimes you get to a place like, wow, I love Tucson. Yeah. I would be happier in Tucson than I would where I'm living right now. So let's move there. Yeah. And if you never travel, uh, you're never going to figure that out. Yeah. So it's like, I, you know, I know a lot of people, some people, who they, they love a small town. Some people yeah. love a big city. You know? The more traveling, Ted, I did, touring both on my own adventures and on music tours, which I've done a lot as well, I learned, this is, like, this is like the next level or next step past that realization that you had, is that what I figured out is that there is no one perfect place. For that's me. true. You're I right. thought when you're young, at least that's how I thought, I'm looking for that perfect place. I liked right. where I grew up just fine. It was fine. But once I figured out I wanted my world to be bigger, I had to expand it. And then I started seeing different things. Like we stopped to get gas one time on our way, driving all the way across the country from central Illinois to Vancouver, Canada. Right. Stopped in Missoula for, you know, around Great breakfast town. time Great to get town. some gas. I'd never been to Missoula. I don't know anything about Missoula. I never even heard of Missoula until mm -hmm. we saw it on the map. And there's something about that town. It just has some energy yeah, yeah, or yeah. some vibe. It's some otherworldly thing. 
uh, other towns I can think of like that. And I've had great towns in towns that have bad reputations too. Sure. You know, and I've had terrible times in towns that have great reputations. But you take it all on the whole, you play the long game. Yeah. And you've, what I figured out, there is no one perfect place. I mean, sure, I live in Los Angeles. I love it for a lot of reasons. But there are plenty of other places that I love. I love Amsterdam. Yeah. I love... Um, yeah, when people always ask me, like, what's your favorite place to play in the world? Or what's your favorite city? Yeah. Like, I can't really answer that. Yeah. They all have a wonderful character. Yeah. I'll, I'll answer that sometimes and say, well, who's your favorite person in the world? Or what's your favorite food in the world? It's like you have many. Like, well, right For now many it's the girl reasons. who's selling me Thin Mints is my favorite person in yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? Like, there are many. And, and different parts of your personality are satisfied by yeah. certain kinds of music or certain places or certain energies yeah. you'll find in different places in the world. So it's like... I can, I can list my five or ten favorite cities in the world, or where I have the most friends, or where I've had the most fun, right. or had the best shows. I can give you my five, five or ten favorite venues in the world, but I don't have one favorite thing. Yeah, that's, uh, I think it's a more sophisticated question than that. I have, I have a fallback position whenever people okay. ask me about okay. favorite stuff. You know, because people, in, from the simplest thing, like when you're a kid, like, what's your favorite color? You know, that's a very simple yeah, yeah, yeah. one to start with, like playground talk when you're just you're first on first grade and you're out <clears throat> yeah, with yeah. kids you don't know. It's like, well, you're trying to establish norms and figure out where everybody stands. It's like, well, I have a def- I have a fallback favorite color, I suppose, but that's not how it's not that simple for me. And maybe that's what makes us writers is because I don't think like that. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. I like red barns and I like silver cars and I like sunburst colored guitars yeah, yeah. or I might also like a red guitar or I you know they're all contextual in a different way it depends mm-hmm. on a million different variables totally. some of which I have control over and some of which I do not yeah so you know even a favorite song I when people ask me what's your favorite song or favorite album I like, well if I had to choose no one's ever going to put a gun to my head and ask me what my favorite song right. is that's a dumb thing to ask someone but if I mean sure I could tell you what that song is but there's just dozens, hundreds, thousands of others, yeah. which could just as easily be plugged in there. So I have, I have a kind of a fallback position. Right. Anyway, tell me a little bit more about this record. We don't have a whole lot of time okay. left. Uh, walking shoes. Oh, here's a question for you. This ties into the record, so it's a compound question. Okay. Forgive me for that. Um, when you, this is you know the the light motif or the theme of this walking shoes, mm-hmm. traveling, expanding your world, which we've been kind of talking about. Do you? When you go to make a record, whether you're doing your own or producing someone else's, do you think of it from the perspective from the get-go that you have a concept? You know, not like, again, a Sometimes. Pink, not like a prog rock concept, or maybe like that. Or do you kind of reverse engineer it based on how it develops on its own? Uh, it's, it's, sometimes I have a concept from the beginning. Like, especially when you have, you know, like, sometimes I'll have like, you know, like, here's a great example. This is a pretty rockin', pretty story-oriented and traveling-oriented album. Yeah. I know my next one is not going to be that. Okay. I don't want to do the same thing twice in a row. Or really just the same thing twice in general. Yeah. Um, So it's like, this one is a little more country-leaning. I have a feeling my next album is going to be a little more soul-leaning. It'll still be rocking and singer-songwriter music, and it kind of all comes down to this kind of uh, eclectic American roots approach. But I know that it, my next record is not going to be the same. Yeah. It's not going to be similar. So in some ways, I can see it in the distance and, and plan it. Um, sometimes, uh, but it is, it is often reverse engineered. Usually I'll have three or four or five songs that are my favorite of my recent batch of songs. And then I'll do a recording session and call, call, call in my friends and either use my home studio or uh, go to another studio. And then I'll have three or four or five songs. And we're like, okay. And then I listen. And then I write more 
thinking about what it needs. Sometimes I revisit older songs that fit in with this batch. Sometimes I have a, I have a, I have a bunch of great songs that, or, or that I feel are great that didn't fit on an older record. So I see if they can come back and sometimes yeah. they fit onto a new record. In this album's case, a lot of the second half of the record was that. Just about time for a heartache, less thinking, more drinking, uh, written in stone, uh, and roll on through the night. All are older that didn't make it onto an earlier album. Yeah. So as this one came together, I was like, wow, finally, roll on through the night's going to have a place. Found a home. Because the world, the world, I want the world to hear it, Right. But the previous record just wasn't the right batch of songs in the right context. Yeah. Um, so in, the, in, in those cases, I'll often, maybe I'll re-sing it or I'll add some other instruments or some overdubs um, to change it a little bit because, yeah. uh, you know, that, some of that is part of why it didn't make the older record. Right. You know what I mean? Um, uh, but usually I'll have a new, uh, I'll, I'll get a new concept or a new thing or like I'll fall in love with a different songwriting but like I want it to have more uh, more Guy Clark in it, right? Or I wanted to, I wanted to feel more like the band and and not be ashamed of that. That's a big part of my roots. Or I'll say, uh, I want this record to be a little more sonically interesting and modern, yeah, compared to some of my earthy or stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes it'd be like, okay, I want it, like like this song, I this album, I deliberately wanted to be a little more country, and a little more grooving. Yeah, I was like, I'm not going to be, and as and as I would write and then record the rest of the songs, I'm like, I'm not going to be afraid to sit on one chord for a while and just hang out. Yeah, to to kind of let it feel good and also kind of build tension. Yeah, there are other albums I have that are more consistently like this is a pop song. There's no waiting. We go right from the chorus into the yeah. bridge. We go right from the bridge into a solo. We go right in from here and da da da. There's not. 20 seconds of jamming and soloing at the end. We just sing that last yep. lyric and get out. You're out. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'll, I'll kind of, usually they're kind of artistic uh, things that I'm focusing on and driven yeah. by. And then the songs will kind of either fit into that or not. And after a while, sometimes I'll have a lot, of, have, a, have enough great songs that don't fit into my mold. Right. And then think, okay, well, my mold needs to change. Yeah. The album is changing now, you know, and that's okay. Do you, as a writer, producer, performer, think about the end user as part of the experience? Yeah, In other totally. words, because I was, I was listening to uh, or watching our Roger Waters interview the other day, and it's hard not to because we, as performers, you know, we're sitting in a room playing for no one. We can't get paid for one thing, but no one, it's not going to have reach. It's not going to have an right. effect on other people. So it's hard to not think about that. But yet at the same time, a lot of artists... Roger Waters among them in this particular interview would say like, well, ultimately I'm really making this for me. I'm being uncompromising with my artistic vision and what I need to say. Now it's easy for Roger Waters to say that he sold hundreds, tens of millions of records, yeah. hundreds of millions of records. I don't know. Yeah. But so from your perspective as someone who writes, who performs, who produces, who does these things with other people on your own, multiple different instruments around the world, around the States. Uh, so you do, factor that in like for this record for oh, yeah, example totally. you're thinking of the listener yeah um i well i like roger waters i want to i want to make something that i'm going to be really proud of that's kind of my statement and what i want to say but there have been times when i've got a brand new song and i'm super excited about it and i start playing it for people and no one likes it as much as i do yeah and then i think wow what's wrong with what's what's wrong with this little bit of exp uh 
uh, little bit of conversation and expression that I'm trying to do. Like, okay, well, maybe the lyrics are too vague. Maybe it's too slow. Maybe the melody is boring. Maybe I can... Maybe I need to ramp up the energy here rather than at this other point yeah. in the song. And then I rewrite. Yeah. Because sometimes you know the best stuff and sometimes you don't. I yeah. feel like you try to get a little closer to it with art. And sometimes it's like, it's a great, it's something that I don't think is the best song I've ever written, but something is very evocative. Right. And p- people love it. In fact, Taillight Shine, the one we just did, is a song that I thought was a good rock jam. I like the bluesiness of it. Um, I like the directness of the lyric. I love the story that the original reason why I wrote it. Um, but I was like, yeah, it's a pretty good rock song. It's cool. And I get to sing high. I get to do my Paul Rogers imitation for a second. <laughs> but, uh, and, then, and then I started doing it actually with a bunch of gigs with John Treffler um, at a great little bar up in the Valley in uh, Ireland's 32, mm-hmm. where I've been in a house band a lot over the years. Uh, and there are two particular guys who were kind of regulars who were like, man, that's my favorite song. That's just a great one. You really got to put that on a record. And I was like, yeah, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And then the song just kind of kept coming back. And I was like, yeah, it does deserve to be on a record. Yeah. It's the, it's the appreciation that, that a, and a bunch of people, enough people commented. I was like, okay, maybe I need to rethink things. Yeah. You know, Warren Zevon famously didn't really like Werewolves of London. Right. But then Jackson Brown helped convince him to put it on the record and then everyone else in the world loved it. Right. And it's like, sometimes you, uh, sometimes you really do know and sometimes you just kind of can't tell. And that's a strange curse for a musician, and I say a blessing and a curse at the same time. I know countless examples of artists, you know, God forbid you get a hit, your biggest hit becomes a song that you yourself don't particularly Hate. like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? So now you're stuck playing that song at every gig until the end of your career. Yeah. Right? So you made it. It's yours. It will forever be associated with you. You sang it. You <laughs> produced it, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... You know, so it it's interesting to just to hear that. Like I I got tickets to see Steve Miller at the um Holly or not the Hollywood Bowl, I'm sorry, the Greek Theater. Great. A couple summers ago. And you know, I got him for free. I look, I grew up loving Steve Miller. Who how can you not? He's an excellent pop writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh and you know, not something I probably would have gone through the trouble to get tickets to see as an adult at this but point in my free. life. But if they're free and the Greek theater is ten minutes from my house. So yeah. I went and it was and it was it blew me away. It's like this guy's seventy some years old. And he has, as far as I can tell, no compunction, and in fact has joy. How many times do you think Steve or uh, Steve Earl? How many, how many times do you think Steve Miller has played Rock and Me, right. or Jet Airliner? But he still seemed or to love it. The Joker, and he, there was joy in it, and it was palpable yeah. joy enough that comes across to however many thousand people fit in the Greek yeah, theater. Yeah, that's great. And maybe he hates that, but if he does, I can't tell. Right, you know, and right. therein lies professionalism. Therein lies a different type of artistry and an approach to your music. Yeah, I, and I respect people for things like that. Yeah, you know? there's a real magic to playing, uh, to playing songs that people know. Yeah, and playing songs that people have history with. Yeah, and um, for those of us who are artists working to try to get those hits, yeah. sometimes we don't want to hear you say that you don't like rock and me because I would give. Almost everything I own to get that kind of hit, to get that kind of yeah. perspective or that kind of reach would then allow me to do the rest of my career. Totally. There's a song that's creeping up underneath us right here because I want to talk about one quick aspect okay. before we get out of here. It's co-writing, mm-hmm. which is something you co-wrote this with another uh, part of the Independence Day family, Sam Morrow. Yeah. A great young artist. He's into Little Feet a lot these days. I loved having uh-huh, him on too, this show. This is a song that I think he did, he might have done, or we might have shared. It's on his last record. Uh, the song is Paid by the Mile. Yeah. Talk just a little bit about getting into writing with someone okay. like 
How do you first approach that? Um, well, in this one, I played bass on Sam's first record, and we did a bunch of shows together, and we're becoming friends. Um, and then he was working on a second album, and he was like, hey, man, let's write, because he knows that I used to have a publishing deal in Nashville, and I write and have co-written a lot with lots of people. I love yeah. doing that. Um, and he hadn't done it as much. Um, and I said, great, I'd love to. Maybe I brought it up at some point. Yeah, if you ever want to write, I really like your songs and your yeah, approach. Yeah. Um, the first level is just a casual beginning to crack open the door a little bit. Um, and then we started, we, we wanted to get together. Um, I had a friend who did a Facebook post. She did a long drive, I, I think to like Kansas City or somewhere. And she was, and she was to do a gig. And then she jokingly wrote at the end of her Facebook message, if I only got paid by the mile. Yep. And I was like, no, that's a song title. Yep. So I sat on it for about two or three months. I yeah. remember there was one time I was at a UPS place and I, I wrote, I borrowed a piece of paper and yeah, I wrote yeah. a bunch of what became the lyrics and a bunch of what didn't end up in the final song. Yeah. Um, and I had about, I had about half of a really good song, but it was a great idea. Yeah. And then when I got together with Sam, I knew he had an earthy quality and I thought he'd get it. And I was like, hey, I had this idea paid by the mile. And then so uh, we then started, we, I think I maybe had the first verse written and the, and the hook. And then we got together and started writing the rest of it and writing the other verses in different ways they could go. Yeah. Um, uh, and it was great. Some, sometimes a co-write takes an hour or two. Yeah. Sometimes you get close and then you, and then one of you finishes it months later. Sometimes you get right. together two or three or four times and yeah. gradually work out the details of what the song can be. Um, but when it starts feeling good, and this is also yeah. a rare one because we both liked it enough to put on our record. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. See, that's the thing. I yeah. call it, uh, when I get an inspiration like that, I call it ringing the bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in my head, like, I know when I hear a title or I hear even a turn of phrase, I know that something's going to make it into one of my songs or something yeah, that I'm yeah. also I'm going to write. Because totally. for me, it rang a bell in my head. Yeah. Like, oh, that clearly is something that will resonate with me. It resonates with me, which means it, you know, likely will resonate with other artist types and then maybe the audience yeah, yeah. at large. Yeah, you know? and with that song, I've, I've had a few people comment about that. And it's like, everyone understands the feeling of working really hard and not getting paid for it. Yep, being underappreciated. And that, and that, is subtle, a, that subtle right. frustration you get, you're like, well, that's my job and that's what I asked for, so let's do it. Yep, it's a, it's a universal feeling. Yeah. Underappreciation is a universal <laughs> feeling, Ted. Sadly, I hate to say it. But Ted, man, thank you for taking the time. Thank you. I know you're busy. Thank you for both coming on for the first episode, which I still people, uh, I wish they would go back and check out. April 3rd, 2013, episode number 73, and that's at indepthday.com. I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. Ted Russell Camp, of course. TedRussellCamp.com, Camp with a K. He's on Facebook, he's on Instagram, and you'll probably see him on about 25% of any given stages. It, you're, there's got to be more than one of you. There's, no, there's just tell one. me there's more than Maybe one. There's, there's, there's a couple of personalities floating around in my head, but there's just one, okay. one, one, one well, body that I'm aware of. It feels of. like there's more than one of you, but see, that's how you want it to feel. You're a hard-working man, Ted. You're the hardest-working man in show business, and keep up doing what you're doing. And come back and see us again when the next record comes out. I will. Out. Thank and you. people get out, also pick up walking shoes at Ted's shows or at his website as well. Ted Russell Camp, be well, my friend. We don't lose no way or no way. I gotta leave these memories behind. But there's something more I need to find If you wanna take a hold, hold on tight This train's gonna roll, roll our way Better get ready to go to the morning light Cause this train's gonna roll, 
shake these voices It's time to make some better choices Leave me to my own devices With no apologies to the righteous And if you see my face again Then you wonder where I've been Well, I ain't been to hell and back But when I see the world, I'm there see a track If you wanna take a home, hold on tight This train is gone Let's change the end This life is off to make our 